Northwest Eye Surgeons and Site Partners, I am Dr. Brett Bentz, and you're listening to The Focal Point, where we invite doctors and surgeons from the fields of ophthalmology and optometry to discuss the latest trends in medical eye care. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the first episode of the Site Partners and Northwest Eye Surgeons Clinical and Surgical Podcast Series. This episode is about key elements of launching a dry eye practice. It is a distinct pleasure to introduce Dr. Casey Claypool as the guest speaker. Dr. Claypool is the Chief of Optometry at Empire Eye Physicians in Spokane Valley, Washington State. He is the director and practitioner of a well-regarded dry eye clinic at Empire Eye. As many of you know, he is an authority on dry eye. He has lectured and published extensively on dry eye as well as other perisurgical ophthalmic care topics. Dr. Claypool, welcome. Thank you, Brett. It is an honor to be here with you. So Casey, let's say that I have a primary care practice looking to specialize at least a significant portion of my practice, if not all my practice, for dry eye management. How do I get started? What are the early steps for me to consider? That's a great question, Brett, and thanks for asking that. First of all, I'd say congratulations, because I really think that dry eye and meibomian gland dysfunction are the most undertreated and underdiagnosed conditions that we see in all of our practices every day. And it's just so common and becoming even more prevalent. So it's, it's, there's a great demand for this in our, in our field. So I'm, I'm glad for you that you're considering and listening to this. So I, I think on a short answer, the, the diagnostic equipment that's out there is, is so helpful to know what to look for. And many of these patients aren't complaining. And so it's helpful to pull out some of this information before it gets bad. And then later, I'd like to cover some of the treatment options that we have out. Uh, but first, knowing what we're looking for and having the right, the right patient selection, I think, is important because many of these patients may not complain. And we're trying to shift our care for these patients to be less reactive and more more proactive, much like dentistry. We're now in dentistry, we all know we have to do these these preventative items before it gets bad. And so I'm hoping as we approach dry eye management and treatment, we will have the same the same focus. Well, I liked your point about you know all ages can have dry eye. I think we tend to assess the older demographic as being the one most likely to treat. So that's why I kind of want to ask a question about, you know, a doctor's practice. They should be looking for dry eye in all ages, it seems to me. But uh, so that's why I want to get to your patient. Who do you see mostly in your practice that would help them understand if my practice could actually uh, transition to dry eye? That's a great question. And I think 10 years ago, you'd ask any doctor, we'd all answer perimenopausal female older patients and perisurgical patients with, with dry eye. Now I'm seeing it way younger than we ever used to. And often again, the patients aren't complaining of it, but they'll have initial symptoms they think are from allergies or from their contacts or from just being on the computer for a while. They'll blame it on other causes. So there's definitely a wide spectrum, but I would say it covers every, every age. Um, I'm seeing teenagers now that have significant dry eye because they stare at their computers and their video games and their cell phones all day, every day. 
But yeah, we also know it affects our older population. It's not normal aging, but it can get worse as we age. And of course, we have the surgical patients. And yes, the hormonal changes, medication-induced, and the autoimmune patients, those are all in there. But it is amazing how much younger we're seeing this. And really, it stems down to the lack of blinking. We, we blink five times less than we should when we're on a digital device. And so that triggers this meibomian gland thickening, which then leads to blockage and atrophy. So it's incredible how young it is that we're seeing it, but often we're just not asking the right patient, the right questions. Often we're not asking the right questions to the patient or we don't have the right tools in the office to analyze and talk to the patient about their condition. So uh, Dr. Claypool, can you advise what support staff do you have at your office and what staff would we need to have for dry practice? With staff, they are critical. As we know, with everything from the optical to a surgical environment, the staff can save us a lot of time because they can educate and prepare the patient for either a treatment or a optical package or contact lens training. So yes, we, we have staff that are specifically trained to help more with, with dry eye, whether it's treatment or diagnostic options. So I, I firmly believe having your staff motivated, having them excited about these things, you bring them on board, that's tremendous. And so having them part of the discussion and asking them questions of what they hear from patients will, will save you a lot of time in the end as well. And also on the note of staff, it's amazing how often when you help your staff with their dry treatment, they can become your best advocates to educate your patients and whether it's over the phone or in person. So I strongly encourage using your staff as examples for, for treatment plans because it's amazing how much that'll help you with your launching of a dry clinic. So, uh, Dr. Claypool, the next question comes up for most doctors is the dry eye consultation. Kind of, can you walk us through what you, how do you approach that? What tests you do in terms of a consultation? First time seeing a patient. Yeah, great question too. A lot of it stems down to your history, and so the patient history will trigger your your testing, your discussion, and also what's causing their dry eye. That's usually when I come in the room and I'm following up after the technician and they've started the exam. We do love having point of care testing where when the patients are coming in for a dry consultation, they will do a mybography first off. We have our mybographer sitting right next to our autorefractor. And we've become so accustomed to doing an autorefractor on patients. The same I could say with the mybographer. I could give a long discussion and in, in, in in point on this, but my biography, I believe, should be in every optometric medical practice eventually. Um, just like going to a dentist and having your teeth x-rayed, it's incredible what that will show us for, uh, for gland structure. Later, I'll talk about function. So having my biography is key to educate the patients on their disease state. And that's something we just haven't had enough of um, or uh, available in many offices still. Uh, we also utilize Inflamadry and, and TearLab. Um, I do believe Inflamadry is very beneficial and has a kind of a low difficulty of entry for clinicians as well, where that can help you identify inflammatory dry eye. So my, my uh, workup involves that. Then we have a questionnaire. Uh, we utilize the the speed questionnaire, but there are other good questionnaires out there. And that also will help trigger discussion to know when it bothers the patient and how it bothers the patient for their symptoms. And we can track that each time they come in. So those are the initial things we do. And then again, to follow back, 
on what I was saying earlier of history, there's several questions you can ask the patient about which eye bothers them more, whether it's morning or evening, um, after certain activities that can really help guide your treatment plan and also ask, asking historical questions. Uh, you know, if, For example, if they had surgery, but they also had contact lens intolerance prior to surgery, that also clues you into some possible um, uh, you know, MGD influences. And so, so that, that history is crucial of, of collecting that from the patient. During the exam, I will use that time to discuss with the patient the importance of their tear film, their function, and what it can do for their, their vision and their ocular health. During the exam also, I will be pushing on their eyelid using the meibomian gland evaluator to see what their function is of their meibomian glands. The function, of course, is different than their structure, much like an OCT versus visual fields. They could have very good structure on mybography, but very, very poor function on meibomian gland evaluation. Yes, I can use a thumb, but it's not reproducible. And there's some great um, studies showing how the MGE can help you in assessing dry eye and, and then therefore offer treatments. So, I will have that discussion with the patient as I'm as I'm looking at their eyes. And so the lid, the lashes, the cornea, that's so helpful in analyzing the patient for the first time and in some sub- subsequent visits. Um, so all that's part of that dry eye evaluation the first time. One last thing I'd like to mention is vital dyes are very helpful. Um, so you can use lysamine green or fluorescein staining to assess but many times you can see th- patterns without it. Now, lysamine green, you also cannot see staining on the conjunctiva. But fluorescein, with a well-trained eye, you'll see that on the cornea without it. Um, but again, those vital dyes also can be helpful in your initial consultation. So, Casey, you talk about dry eye practice and the, the patients that present. Are there any other patients that we should be thinking about that may be also with the dry eye complaints? Yeah, I think some of the ones that we don't think about are the ones that are complaining of fluctuation with their glasses. It's their second or third remake. Or if they have a multifocal implant or a multifocal contact lens, or even just regular contacts that they go from monthlies to two-week lenses to dailies, you change the solution. Even glaucoma patients that have drop intolerance, all of those patients are low-hanging fruit as you're starting your dry practice to say, Often I'm doing other treatments, but now as I'm launching into a dry practice with more technology, these can be excellent choices to choose from as you're starting to incorporate the treatments that we'll discuss in part two, because many of those patients, it's their underlying MGD and or dry eye that's creating their fluctuation in vision, that's making them not like their glaucoma drops. It's incredible how much of a benefit we've seen for those patients. Dr. Claypool, thank you again for sharing your insights on this increasingly important topic with our aging patient base. We also thank our listeners for joining us for uh, the podcast and for your recommendations for future topics. In part two, as Dr. Claypool mentioned, we're going to discuss more in-depth treatment options for managing advanced dry eye. Thank you. That's this week's edition of The Focal Point. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and update on medical eye care. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Benz, and thank you for joining us.